Hi, welcome back to One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Dr. Terry Egan, and I'm your host today. This is just a quick announcement to let you know that today's episode is an encore episode, which means that we are replaying one of our favorite episodes from a prior season. So tune in. Thank you. Welcome to season four of One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm Anna. I'm a mom, a therapist, a parent coach, and an author. And I'm a daughter and a kick-ass high school student. Each week, we'll discuss a different parenting topic. And we'll interview some amazing guest experts. Our goal is to provide an interesting informational resource for busy parents. While also offering the perspective of a teen. Stay tuned, everyone. Boom. Hello, parents. Welcome back to today's episode of One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Dr. Tara Egan, and I have a wonderful guest for you today. I'm going to take a minute and introduce him. His name is Dr. Robert Jason Grant, and he's a licensed professional counselor and a registered play therapist supervisor. He specializes in working with children, adolescent, and families, including working with neurodivergent children, such as those diagnosed with autism, ADHD, sensory differences, and learning disorders. He is the creator of Ought Play Therapy, an integrative family play therapy approach. He's also certified in autism movement therapy and trained in EMDR, which we talked about in the past on this podcast, which is a post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma-related therapy for children and adults. Dr. Grant is an international speaker and keynote presenter, having presented for the American Counseling Association, Association for Play Therapy, American Mental Health Counselors Association, and the World Autism Congress. He is a multi-published author of several books, book chapters, and articles, including his most recent book called Understanding Autism, a Neurodiversity Affirming Guidebook for Children and Teens. Dr. Grant is the owner and operator of the Robert Jason Grant Ought Play Therapy Clinic located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about Dr. Grant at www robertjasongrant.com. So we have a guest here who is just filled with expertise and is going to share some information with us about autism, about what he's learned in over his years of experience working with these individuals. So thank you, Dr. Grant, for being with us today. Thank you, uh, Dr. Egan, uh, for inviting me and having me on the show. I love the title of your show too, by the way. Let me just throw that in there. <laughs> Well, normally my teenage daughter is on the show. And so we get to hear her perspective as a teenager. Uh And I have to say, you know, as a parent, I just feel so lucky that my kid gets this front row to all of these professionals. And so I'm so bummed today that she can't be with us. And Uh it's happening more and more because she's got this high school schedule (laughs) that she leaves at eight in the morning and doesn't come home until after five. And I want to be so respectful of the time of these professionals and like to ask them to be like, Hey, can you record at 6 PM during a weekday when you've got, you know, your own obligations and families to tend to like, sometimes that just doesn't play out with their schedule or mine. So sometimes we don't have her, but yeah, yeah, not today, but not today, (laughs) but yeah, that's where that, that, you know, one day you'll thank me, you know, cause it's just, I I tell her someday you're just going to, and she is grateful. She's very (laughs) grateful of, 
the information she's gained from this. Like she's very enthusiastic about it. But yeah, it would she would have loved to meet you. So, well, I I just love that concept. That's so awesome that you've yeah. been able to do that. Well, as we get started here, I do want to take a minute to ask you about your journey towards becoming a counselor and a play therapist who works with neurodivergent children. I'm a therapist. I'm a former school psychologist. I'm not a play therapist, so it's really interesting to me to hear about you know your approach with mm-hmm. kids and families. Yeah, I started probably the way most people do, you know, going to university to be a therapist and training in that way. And when I got finished with my uh, master's level work and I was out in my practicum and pursuing my licensure, I just started getting a lot of children clients. I really found that uh, I loved working with the kids and the families and just quickly discovered, okay, these are the populations that I like to work with, and this is who I'm going to work with. And I didn't feel really like I understood how to do therapy with kids as well as adults. And so that's what led me to play therapy as an approach. So I jumped right in and um, started going through the process of becoming what's called a registered play therapist. So it's a formal credential that's granted by the Association for Play Therapy. So that was a lot of training and more supervision and getting more education and learning just play therapy theories and approaches. Started doing that then, of course, with all my child clients and when I worked with families. In that process, I just got my first referral, a little boy who was autistic He had also some other diagnosis, co-occurring issues going on. And uh, well, it was sort of like this step process, I guess. I discovered that I really loved working with kids and families. And then I got him on my caseload and I'm like, wow, I really like working with him and his parents. I just connected with them in some different ways and felt a lot of empathy for them. And so I thought, there's such a huge need here for these children and families to access good mental health care and in particular for kids to be involved in a play therapy process because i just did not see that happening anywhere so that's really how it all began how i kind of got into what i'm doing and how i started working with the neurodivergent population that's wonderful i mean i think that so many of us As clinicians, we have this serendipitous interaction with somebody within a certain population and we just feel connected. And, you know, I in high school got it, or I guess as I was going into college, got a job at a respite care facility for kids who have disabilities. And when their parents needed respite care, like if they were having a baby or needed to go out of town and they weren't, didn't have the facility to care for their kids, like we would, we would care for them temporarily. And a good portion of the kids who visited the respite care facility were autistic. And so that was my introduction. And of course, that led me towards going towards school psychology. So I really relate to what you're saying and how, you know, sometimes we just have this experience and it really causes us to shift our interest and develop a special interest. So today, 
we're going to talk a little bit more about your new book, which once again, I want to repeat the title is Understanding Autism, a Neurodiversity Affirming Guidebook for Children and Teens. So tell me about what does it mean to be neurodiverse affirming? Thanks for asking this question, actually, and and just having this topic on your show, because I think it's something that is very, very important for any professional, even outside of mental health, who is working with the neurodivergent population. So I guess I have to start with like divining neurodiversity, because that's sort of the first important term in this concept, if you will. Neurodiversity is really understanding that in terms of neurotype, we all are diverse, all humans, neurodivergent individuals, neurotypical. Neurodiversity really applies to every human being. And just that we all sort of have these individual ways that our brains are wired and that we work in our processing, thinking, responding, our neurotype. And so it's just recognizing that that diversity exists, which means that we are not trying to funnel everybody into looking like one type of brain, right? We respect sort of this diversity that exists. Then underneath that, we do have these sort of two categories right now, what tends to be called neurotypical or neurodivergent. And the neurotypical would be whatever the culture you're in defines as what seems to be the quote unquote normal standard looking way of being, right? That would get the neurotypical label. And then neurodivergent would be someone who is not that, (laughs) who does things differently than that and is different than that. And that tends to kind of go with some diagnosis autism or ADHD or sensory processing disorder, learning disorders, but there can be other individuals in that neurodivergent category as well. So then we get to neurodiversity affirming. That's really like your approach. You understand and respect neurodiversity, neurodivergence. And so you're committed to, in your work you do, for me, mental health therapy, that the way that I approach the child who's neurodivergent is in this affirming way. Like I understand that you have a different neurotype and that is okay. I'm not here to make you feel bad about who you are or change who you are to look like this neurotypical person. I'm here to value the self of you. And then we'll work on whatever needs you have, of course, but in this way that always comes back to, but you're okay being you in this process. Yeah, I love that. I think that in my career, you know, I'm year 20, you know, I see so much more acceptance of somebody who doesn't just go down that typical path. But in addition, you know, we have to have parents be accepting, we have to have the larger community be accepting, and then we have to have that child be accepting of themselves. And when you're a kid and there's a lot of social comparison and Kids can be very quick to point out when something about someone is different. That can be a really stressful experience for kids. And so I love the fact that we're we're focusing on strengths and we're focusing on acceptance. What kind type of language can neurotypical people use to demonstrate respect for neurodiverse individuals? And I and I think specifically of the diagnosis of, of autism. I know there's been some um, sort of awareness about 
person first language versus what's it, what it, like what do you call it if it's not person first identity first language identity first yes. okay so tell us about yeah. that yeah and of course that's what you've been hearing from me so far and that's my default when i speak about autism or I write about it is that it would be an identity first language which is autistic child autistic person as opposed to person first language which is child with autism, person with autism. The reason that identity first language is part of the language you might use if you are aware of neurodiversity is because autistic adults overwhelmingly, I mean, there's been multiple research studies on this, very large ones actually, say that they prefer identity first language over person first language. So, you know, this is the population we're talking about. So we want to respect, you know, the language they want used in terms of identifying them, right? And I think because we are discovering that a lot of autism and a lot of neurodivergence is really a way of being, then it's a part of the person's identity. And so we're looking at this as being not something they caught or they have or they picked up, right, that, you know, maybe we can get rid of, which is sort of the implication of the person first language, but it's really more a part of the person's identity or their identity. And so that's where that comes from. And yes, you would certainly see that language used in neurodiversity affirming work, or really what you would probably see at the beginning is just respecting and asking and respecting how the individual prefers language to be used. And then whatever they say, you know, you would honor that and, and not try to change it for them. Right. Or correct right. them and tell them they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I could see that happening. But yeah, I can understand that would be very stressful for an individual who, like you said, they identify a certain way and it's super appropriate for them to be respected in that way. You talk about in your book about how traditional definitions of autism focus on deficits versus strengths. So in your book, you discuss or you suggest that traditional definition of autism focus on deficits versus strengths. How can parents and service providers focus on strengths, but still sort of honor that there's a place where this individual needs support or is, or is exhibiting some challenges? Like, how do we balance that? Right. It's a great question. It's probably one that I get asked a lot. And I think part of this goes to this sort of myth in neurodiversity affirming approach that it means somehow that we don't work on needs or recognize there's needs. I mean, that's not true. Of course, any child, neurotypical or neurodivergent can have needs. That's probably why they're there to see me. Is there some kind of need that they need help with? So I think when I talk with parents about this, there's a lot I could go into here. I'll try to keep the condensed version, but our systems that are in place, so our diagnostic system, our medical system is not designed to be neurodiversity affirming. And so we have these systems in place that really come out of this ideology of the medical model, 
which is you're going to get a diagnosis and a diagnosis means there's something wrong with you. You know, this is a problem. And in a lot of areas, it also coincides with thus you need to be fixed or cured or healed, you know, et cetera. And this was pretty predominant thought in the system still is to some degree, but much worse in the history with autistic kids. And so actually a lot of autistic kids grew up getting therapies, quote unquote, treatments that were really designed to try to make them look neurotypical, to try to, quote unquote, cure them, fix them, take their autism away, which, you know, does not exist. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. And as a result, you know, actually created more damage for them in terms of their self-worth, their self-esteem, created anxiety and depression issues because there was nobody, you know, helping them understand how to value themselves. So I think it's important to explain that to parents. Now we still have to work within this system. So they're going to go get this psyche vow that, you know, yes, is basically just a list of if you have all these deficits, then you get this diagnosis. We still have to work within that system until it can be altered or adjusted. But what I was explaining to parents is that's not the total story of your child. Okay, we go through this to get this diagnosis, which we may need for some reason, but your child is a lot more than this. Even as an autistic child, they have strengths, they have abilities, they have uniquenesses about them that are very healthy and good for them. And I always just try to counter <laughs> and prepare them for they're going to see all this information about, you know, all these bad things, really that are now their child and just that they understand that's not the total story. And so what we're going to do is break it down. Like, why are you here? Why is your child here with me? What are the needs that they have in terms of therapy needs? And we'll work on those needs, right? One of the things that's really, I guess, kind of at the top of the neurodiversity affirming list is that you know, an autistic child or a neurodivergent child is not in therapy because they're autistic or neurodivergent. They're in therapy because they have a need. Maybe they need to work on trauma issues. Maybe they are really struggling with regulating their system. Maybe they have sensory challenges. Maybe they are struggling in some social navigation, like with bullying or something at school, right? There's a need and we're going to work on those needs, but we're always going to affirm the person of the child in terms of this diagnosis that they've got and not make it about, you know, you're a problem because you have this diagnosis. It's a problem and we need to try to get rid of it. That would be sort of a more ableist idea, really harmful kind of concept to communicate to a child who's going to be autistic the rest of their life, right? So that's sort of how we do it. It's like, yes, of course, we are going to look at whatever the challenges, needs are, the therapy goals, and we're going to work on those things. But we're just going to make sure that as we do that, we're buttressing that up against this idea of always making sure the child understands that 
just because they have a different neural type doesn't mean they're bad or wrong or that they need to try to look like this other person. Yeah. I'm going to ask the next question, but I definitely have some conversational points that I'm going to want to expand on because I think what you're saying is so, so important. And I hope that listeners who, if they have a child who they they suspect is autistic or or already has a diagnosis that that it's really heard that you know as clinicians we certainly want these individuals to to have self awareness and have strategy development and feel like a valuable person who can navigate the world and some of the children i've worked with over the years have been diagnosed as autistic in their preteen or their teen years so not when they're 3 or 4 years old they didn't grow up with language on how to understand themselves or describe themselves. And so if that happens, right, if we have that suspicion, we're seeing that this might be an appropriate diagnosis, parents might be very willing to go and get the information they need to better understand their child. But then they're sort of in this place of like, well, what do I tell them? And so they might see, okay, my child is struggling in 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 a certain domain, and it could be social, it could be emotional, it could be behavioral, but they worry that by having that word used, autistic or autism, that their child is going to view themselves as being bad or unacceptable. And so sometimes parents are tempted to hold off on using that word or letting kids in on the conversation that's been had with the therapist or the diagnostician, what words of wisdom do you have for these parents? Yeah, you know, I wish I had a lot more words of wisdom for them. I think one day we probably won't even be having this discussion because I think that's what the neurodiversity movement is all about is social justice, it's destigmatizing. It's that you're going to be able to discover that your child is autistic or neurodivergent. And that doesn't come with all this condition stigmatization and information that you've received from so many places, right? But we're not there yet. There's still a lot of that happening and a lot of baggage from history, for sure. So I really try to introduce parents to this concept. It's part of what we cover even in our intake is what does it mean neurodiversity? What does it mean to be neurodiversity affirming? It's interesting because I get a lot of mixed reactions, but I would say the most reactions I get is appreciation. I think parents like hearing this. And I, I have a lot of parents tell me that's kind of how I felt, but I wasn't getting that information anywhere else. Yeah, and I so, see relief a lot. I see relief that there's there's something that makes sense. They can read something. They can ask questions about something specific. Like, you know, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of positives when parents are armed with some information about neurodiversity. Yeah, you know, lucky for me, I've been doing this a long time. And so, you know, I can give examples to back up kind of what I'm saying and I can refer them to great resources, you know, uh, actual autistics, actual neurodivergent individuals who, you know, have these great YouTube channels or these websites or the organization like the Autism Self-Advocacy Network, which is a huge organization in the U.S. that's all autistic led. 
and they have so much great information along this area of being affirming. So it that helps too, because right, I can like plug them in to places where they can get more information that sort of further validate what we're talking about and give them more examples and more information. And I do find that almost all the time that is really appreciated and something that resonates intrinsically more with the parents that I see and that I work with. I am very reluctant to support the idea of parents being kind of afraid to really describe to a preteen or a teen or any child really what what it means to be neurodivergent. I feel like that kids who are armed with that information, I feel in my 20 years of experience that they do get to a place of acceptance and kind of being willing to focus on the strategies where so they can feel relief for their own distress. Like if there's places in their in their world that feels confusing or stressful and in the process of therapy, they're armed with some tools to help. And both from the side of relieving the stress, like you know, being able to, to feel more comfortable with how they're navigating the world, as well as just having awareness and recognizing like this is who I am and that's okay. But like for for example, recently I've had some students that I've worked with where they very much benefited from strategies on how to just advocate for themselves. Like, how do I get my needs met? What are some words I can use? when I need to approach an adult and ask them something. And like the kids, when they have this and it's like in their toolbox and they can use it, like I could see the pride that they felt and the sense of competence they felt to just be able to express themselves. And, you know, we could role play it and have it be in their words and, you know, cater to the needs that they needed to express And like, it's a moment like that. You think, okay, this small thing, you know, this one therapy session where we come up with a strategy that they can use that fits with who they are and is helping them get a need met is so empowering. And for me to have the conversation and be like, this is kind of hard for you because you think a little differently than other people and that's okay. But it's still really important that you get what you need from the adults in your life. And so that's just a small example, but I see that kids benefit from it being acknowledged by their parents and their loved ones and their teachers and having enough of a description versus them feeling like "Mm, something, something's different about me, but nobody's acknowledging it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of kids recognize it. I mean, they get it. And if they don't have real information, they will go somewhere else and create information. And usually that's to the negative. To that's to the devaluing. And so it really can be empowering to help kids understand their own neurodivergence. I myself, you know, have identify as neurodivergent. I was diagnosed as an adult with sensory processing disorder. And I can tell you the difference that it made knowing and not knowing, having a reason for what I was experiencing versus not, it was 100% empowering. You know, it, it changed the trajectory to understand, oh, that, that's why I experienced that, right? And now I know what it is. And now I can just better understand myself. I can get to this place where like, this is who I am. I'm okay with this. Now I can move into 
tips, techniques, interventions to help me get through a situation I want to get through, right? It's an empowering journey. And I think it's not, I think a lot of parents don't always realize that. They think because they're coming from this information of their own conditioned sort of stigmatization, right? That they're afraid that it's going to hurt their child. When in reality, with the proper supports, right? Because it's got to, there's got to be that proper support in there that's affirming and guiding the child. It actually becomes quite the opposite. It becomes an empowering process. Well, and I think that parents benefit from getting some strategies for them within themselves about how to discuss their child's needs. You know, because initially when parents hear information, okay, your child might be autistic you know, they have, obviously they have a variety of emotions. And like you said earlier, appreciation, relief, there can be an element of like worry or, you know, sort of a fearful, like, what does this mean for my child's future? Like, what does this, this signify about how I need to parent them, whatever it is. Right. So sometimes we need to process through that so that by the time the child is given the information, like the parents are able to discuss it in a really like competent, confident way. And so that they can be prepared to send a positive messaging, supportive messaging to their child. And so I find that sometimes that's a role that I can be helpful with is kind of bridging, you know, the parent, like you said, the stigmas they have about it to a place that's more constructive and positive. And so I do encourage parents out there like, you know, find a clinician that you can have those conversations with. Sometimes when we get a diagnosis and we've worked with, let's say a psychologist, their scope of practice is to do the assessment and they give you the feedback and that's fantastic. But sometimes you might need additional support in order to to go through the process of processing it yourself, as well as how to convey it to your child in a way that, you know, is true to your parenting style and communication. So I really do encourage parents out there to kind of give themselves that breathing room so that the conversation can be really productive when they are talking about it with their kids. Absolutely. And, and you made me think of a really important point, which is, I think, at least with a lot of the parents that I work with, they're not trying to do something that's going to hurt their child. They're worried. They're concerned. A lot of the parents I talk with are scared. They're scared that their child is going to go into these systems and these environments and get rejected, not be accepted, not have a good life, right? And that's sort of what drives them sometimes with where they're coming from with the like, let's not give an autism label or let's go find something that makes them look not autistic. I don't think they're trying to be hurtful at all to their kids. I think they're scared, you know, because... There is some truth here. Our systems haven't caught up to being affirming. And so we know that oftentimes our kids do go into all kinds of settings where because they are navigating differently, they get rejected or they don't get accepted or they get mislabeled. And I think parents are scared of that. And I understand, you know, that fear. And sometimes it's about just being honest and talking about that fear with them. A lot of the parents that I talk to use the phrase or say something like, I really just want my child to be happy. And if they're happy doing this or being like that, then I'm happy. But then they're scared that other people or systems are going to be hurtful to their child. 
And so then they want to try to do all these things to prevent that from happening, right? Which I totally get and understand. I'm a parent myself, right? So it's just about having these conversations with them and helping them understand, validate, being empathetic about their fears and concerns, but then showing them how this can look, how this can look if we take this road. And it just may be information they've never heard before. I run into that a lot. I run into parents who've never even heard of the term neurodiversity. And so they just haven't gotten this perspective and this information before. Yeah. My husband um, is in a very corporate environment and he's he's a leader. He's a vice president. And so he has a, a lot of opportunity to do trainings and support people in strengthening their their or, or he's helps develop them as far as making sure that their career path is moving forward and they have the support that they need to make gains in the in the company. And it's interesting. He says, you know, I've been so influenced by how you talk about people and, you know, he'll come home and he'll tell me a story about, you know, struggling to kind of impart information to a group of people that he's training and feeling like, gosh, I, I don't know what I'm missing when it comes to giving them this information, having them receive it and then apply it in a meaningful way for the company. And so in our conversation, you know, I, I get the opportunity to say, you know, I want you to think about this a little different. You know, think about it differently as far as how this person might process information or how they socialize or how they are best going to receive feedback. And some sometimes I give them clinical terms, but sometimes it's just more of a general descriptor of like, you know, understanding, okay, well, what if somebody is struggling with kind of executive functioning and organizational skills? Like this isn't something they're trying to do to you. You know, like mm-hmm. I understand it's impacting how you are going about your business, but there's some things, there's some things you can put in place, some structure or some systems that will help your team, you know, be able to be organized or have a more methodical approach to getting things done. And so I think, okay, well, I'm just, you know, I'm my therapist, I'm a therapist and all, all I'm doing is having a conversation with my husband. But as people get more informed about this, and talk to their family, the people in their community. And we kind of spread this knowledge to have people consider, okay, this could be a little bit different for whoever I'm speaking to, but there can be acceptance here. There can be adjustment. And so, yeah, as clinicians, we're kind of on the front lines, but there's so much, there's so many ways where people in the community can kind of spread knowledge and acceptance about this, I believe. Yes, I I do too. And I, I think we're getting there. I feel like there's so much uh, progress that has been made and gets made, you know, every year now. Awareness increases, acceptance increases. People learn more about this. I see lots more professionals now who are understanding what a neurodiversity affirming approach looks like in their work and they're implementing that. And so the change is happening. And I do believe what I said earlier, I do believe one day we probably won't have the conversation like this because we'll be at a much better place. But obviously we all work with kids who tomorrow they're going to go into an environment or a system and nothing is going to be changed. And they've got to try to get through that environment or that system. And that's a place where we can really come in and advocate for them, try to change environments, but also help the child navigate until that change takes place. Yeah. So if you're a parent out there and you're thinking about all of this and how important it is to find 
supportive people in your child's life who are affirming? What are some things that parents can look for to help get their child, you know, interacting with these individuals who are going to be affirming? Yeah, I think probably the quickest and easiest thing that parents can do is ask, you know, uh, you know, ask about what's your approach, ask the professional to define, you know, do you know what neurodiversity affirming is? What does it mean to you? And listen for that response. You know, you're going to want to hear things like, you know, we're not going to try to change the child to be someone they're not. We're not going to try to turn them into a neurotypical child. We're going to listen to the child's voice. We're going to value their opinion, right? And we're going to take approaches, whether it's any kind of mental health approach, doesn't have to necessarily be play therapy, that is affirming. That always makes the child feel good about themselves and feel valued regardless. You're going to look for language like that, that comes from the professional to know, okay, this is really what they believe. And this is what they're implementing in their work with kids. And so this would be a good fit. Yeah, that makes sense. In your book, when I was going through it and I have it right here, and I appreciate you sending me a copy it's divided into portions. So there's, you know, the initial part, which is just filled with really solid information that describes different terms. And um, like you said, the medical model versus a more strength-based model. But then the the whole last part of the book, which I think of as the guidebook part, Mm -hmm. includes resources and worksheets that are designed to help autistic children learn about their diagnosis and process their thoughts and feelings and questions about autism. So would you say that your book is appropriate for parents and for clinicians, or do you think it's really more geared towards one of those populations? Yeah, it was actually very purposefully geared toward both. Okay. So a parent can pick it up, a professional, and read it and have this understanding. And then that worksheet part, quote unquote, you know, is there to use as needed. Like, you know, you can kind of go through it in order or just pick out different sheets, topics that you think might be relevant for your child or the child you're working with that they might want to process through. And it's all focused on this idea of giving the child a chance to express their thoughts, their feelings, and presenting this information in a way where they can recognize their strengths and their identity and really walk away with feeling like it's okay that I'm autistic, you know? And I think that that's just such an important, powerful message for our kids. And so that's how those worksheets are designed and what they're designed to do. Yeah. Well, it's a very like easy read in that it's not overly complex. There's nothing confusing about it. It's really meant to be direct, accessible information. At least that's how I interpret it as Mm -hmm. a a reader. Now, can can people find the book on Amazon? Yes. Okay, great. So so they can go on. I know for me, it's always helpful to remember the author's name of Robert Jason Grant. Yes. And put that in the search term. (laughs) You have, you have a lot of resources in there. So, you know, our audience, if you go and you and you look on Amazon, you know, check through the other resources to figure out what is going to be the best for you. But like I said, I found it to be a really helpful resource. And I feel that 
that's going to be something that I'm going to be able to use regularly at my practice. I do want to be mindful of your time and I appreciate the time you've dedicated to this interview so far. Is there is there any like any final thoughts you have to offer? Anything I didn't think to ask you about that you want to make sure, you know, gets to our audience? Yeah, I would just say that I really hope that any professional listening in any field, whether it's education or mental health or parents listening, just hear these terms, neurodiversity, neurodiversity affirming, and just commit to going and learning more about it. You know, there's so many great resources out there. We've mentioned a few in this podcast. There's a lot of information out there that actual neurodivergent adults are doing trainings, writings, websites. Go learn more. This is really important for this population. It's really the right way to do therapy, to do education. It's really the right way to work with these kids. And I just want that message to get out and people to go and understand what it really is and how it really looks in application. I think that's great. I think too, is recognizing like these kids grow up and they're going to be your coworkers. They're going to be your neighbors. They're going to be your friends. They're going to be you know, part of your your community, of course. And so it's not just about being the clinician who's informed or being the parent, but recognizing like people who I have, who are neurodivergent are part of our community everywhere. You know, whether it's the cashier you interact with at your favorite store or, you know, a teacher your child has or whomever, right? There's There's no like downside to learning about this. You don't have to be somebody who has day-to-day contact with somebody who is neurodivergent to have this be valuable. So I do do encourage everyone out there to pass along the link to this episode. If you feel like there's somebody in your life who would find this intriguing or find it helpful, there's so many of us who do just are natural learners and love to hear about new things and, and keep their perspective broad. So this could be one of those episodes. I do want to thank you, Dr. Grant, for being with us today. I am going to repeat the title of your book. It's called Understanding Autism, a Neurodiversity Affirming Guidebook for Children and Teens. It can be found on Amazon. For those of you who might want to know more about Dr. Grant and the services that he offers, please visit his website at www.robertjasongrant.com. And yeah, we'll have the the resources that you've mentioned in the show notes so that people can go there and click on it and get to it easily. But once again, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. And thank you. Thank you for just being willing to have me come on and and to talk about this subject and help spread this word. That's so important. I just appreciate you and your willingness to do this and your care about, you know, this population and this topic. So thanks again. You're very welcome. To our audience out there, thank you so much for tuning in. This is an episode in season four. We have new episodes come out every Wednesday. If you feel so inclined, stop by Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, shoot us an email over at www.drtaraegan.com and let us know what you think. And if there's any future topics you want to discuss. And thank you so much for being here. 